Welcome to the Emerging Litigation Podcast, a co-production of HB Litigation, Critical Legal Content, Law Street Media, and Fastcase. I'm your host, Tom Hagee. So let's get this out of the way because any attorneys practicing in this field are probably terribly sick of it. So that's that's a service I'm going to provide. Uh, there is no area of law that has inspired more callbacks to Cheech and Chong, whose 1972 Big Bamboo marijuana-inspired comedy album was a smash hit coming complete with rolling paper. I can remember as a teenager, my buddy and I feeling, you know, extra hip and ornery listening to it, frankly, not even knowing what half the jokes meant. But uh, it was nominated for Best Comedy Album of the Year. It was so fabled that it morphed into a motion picture in 1979 and entered the cannabis cult canon. I proudly and confusingly uh, bumped into Tommy Chung in the Los Angeles airport when he was fresh out of prison with a guitar backpack. I thought he was the tall one. Turns out they're both short, and by that I mean uh, my height. Looking back, Tommy Chong was fresh out of prison in 2004, having been caught up in a pair of nationwide federal dragnets, one of which was called Operation Pipe Dreams, who says the feds don't have a sense of humor. Uh, They were investigating the drug paraphernalia market with millions of dollars and thousands of agents. He ended up spending nine months in prison for selling 7,500 bongs. That's almost quaint. Flash forward to November 22, when our midterms came along. Uh, they were nary a twinkle in the glassy eyes of Mr. Zmarin and Chong. It was another milestone in cannabis's journey to what many, including me, think is the inevitable complete legalization. Here we are in 2023. This is We're still in this transitional and somewhat confusing phase during which states legalize cannabis to different extents and for different purposes while it remains on the federal controlled substances list. Uh, More states came online during the midterms. In the employment context, it raises questions about protections for employees who use the drug legally. Uh, Which states are enacting those protections? What do multi-state employers need to do? What about drug testing? as a requirement to get a job and as a requirement to keep your job. And what about this? Who's going to say whether a worker is impaired? Will there really be hall monitors trained in spotting your high? That's uh, not quite all I know about employment law dealing with cannabis, but pretty much is. Luckily for you, I have someone who knows quite a bit more. Kia Denner, who's a partner at Costanji Brooks Smith & Profit. He's an experienced litigator. He's been practicing labor and employment law for almost 20 years. He's handled every type of labor and employment matter. Not a lot of attorneys match his expertise in the area of legal cannabis and its impact in the workplace. He's counseled Fortune 500 companies in the retail, hospitality, and global logistics spaces to create compliance policies and better understand this shifting legal landscape. Kia got his JD from Seton Hall University. Go Pirates! He graduated with honors, cum laude. Got his BA from Boston University, cum laude. Go Terriers. 
Now I interviewed Kia a couple months ago, right at the end of end of the year. So if we sound like we're talking about the midterms as if they just happened, that's why my fault. In the meantime, uh, the Costanzi firm launched their cannabis and employee substance abuse practice area. The new practice area team is going to be led by Kia Denner in northern New Jersey and his colleague Ashley Orler in Chicago. Uh, the practice group is going to provide counsel to employers on a number of related areas to cannabis law, including wage and hour concerns, qualified retirement plans, union and labor relations, pre-employment inquiries, workplace policies, corporate immigration, workers' compensation issues and coverage, and much more. So there you go. So with that, here is my interview with Kia Denner. I hope you enjoy it. Kia Denner, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thanks, Tom. My pleasure. So let's jump into the first question. Give us a lay of the, the landscape. What's the, the current status of cannabis legalization across the country, especially after last November's midterms? Right. So um, in November, the most recent states to be considering whether to legalize either medical cannabis or in this case, it was actually adult use or recreational. We had um, Missouri, which voted to uh, legalize adult use. Right. And we also had Maryland, which also uh, voted to, to come online with adult use. And then you had three states which actually rejected that and said, we're not going to have adult use. And those were North and South Dakota. The other one was Arkansas. Mm -hmm. So mostly deep red states. That's notable because for the, for the last several years, most states that had this on the ballot were, were voting yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for the first time in a little while, we started to see, you know, maybe this isn't this um, wave that's unstoppable, but, you know, it's not necessarily uh, a surprise, right? Because these are pretty conservative states. We could talk another time about the tax revenue that it has generated in bluer states. I don't know what it is in Colorado. It just came to mind that I know I know it was generating a lot of tax revenue. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I, I think there's probably a few ways you can look at this um, green wave, right? That kind of, right. it's almost, it's like a reverse manifest destiny. It started out in California and it's kind of swept to the east. Tax revenue, of course, is, I think, part of it. In particular, when you look at the medical side, you know, to be fair, I think you can look at it that way too. Mm -hmm. um, as as thirty seven states now have said, and when you look at each one of those medical cannabis statutes, you look at the legislative findings, and you know, you'll have all kinds of language in there, citing to studies and citing to the fact that this drug apparently does help people that have certain uh, serious serious illnesses. Right. So, Yep. That's, a, that's a main driver, I would think, too. So what's the challenge for employers? I mean, in which which are going to be the most impacted by this green wave? I'm an employment lawyer by trade. So this definitely interests me and, you know, uh, servicing my clients. So I'm mostly representing large employers, employers that are in multi, multiple states. And, and I think those are the ones for which it's it's the most challenging. You know, if you're operating in one state and you're an employer, Let's just say, you know, you're in Pennsylvania. I know that's where you are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's a lot easier, I think, to counsel a business on, okay, so what do I have to do with respect to my employees here? But if you operate in 37 different states or, you know, 20 states, um, chances are 
You're going to be in some jurisdictions that do have employment protections for employees who use medical marijuana. Um, and then you're going to maybe be in other states that have zero protections. Well, lay out for us the, the problem that employers face. The problem is because this is a state animal and the fact that we have adult use cannabis and we also have medical cannabis, it's state by state because probably everyone listening knows cannabis is still a schedule one drug under federal law. So it's illegal under federal law. So this phenomenon, this um, this green wave that's been, you know, sweeping east way, eastward mostly mm-hmm. um, is really about state law. And it's about state statutes. That that means that it's kind of this panoply. There's there's no real uniformity to this. And so um, most recently, um, in the last several years, you started to have states either that come online with um, you know a brand new medical marijuana statute, or maybe they had a medical marijuana statute and then they amended the statute that started to now contain protections for employees specifically. And this wasn't always the case. Um, In fact, Tom, you and I were just chatting right before we started and we were talking about Colorado. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because um, I think when most people think about medical marijuana, maybe they think about California, they'll think about Colorado. These are states that were kind of no pun intended trailblazing, right? Mm -hmm. These are the states that started this trend for the most part. Um, and what's interesting to note is, you know, in the beginning, in the 90s for California, and then in the early 2000s, when you started some of these other West Coast states passing these laws, there was no employment protections. So you could get a medical marijuana card, for example, in Washington State or in Oregon or in Colorado. Uh, you can go ahead, go to your doctor, get your medicine, uh, use your medicine in accordance with your doctor's instructions, and then go to work, get drug tested and get fired if you test positive because you're using the medicine. And so there were some cases, um, in fact, state Supreme Court cases, you know, kind of made their way up, bubbled their way up. I'd say, you know, we're talking, you know, 10, 15 years ago, where employees started to, you know, assert that, hey, this is not right. I shouldn't be fired. I'm using cannabis in accordance with my doctor's instructions, and I have a medical marijuana card. And many, many Supreme Courts and many courts that were faced with those kind of claims dismissed them because they said, you know, there's just no protections there and there's mm-hmm. no protections in the statutes. So what we've now seen it most recently, um, and I'd say this trend really kind of started in 2018, thereabouts, um, you started to see now more states and these are not, ironically, they're not the West Coast states so much. It's the Northeast. It's the Northeast states like Pennsylvania, like New Jersey, like New York, that are amending their, their medical marijuana statutes to say, you know, employers, it's illegal now for you to fire somebody solely because uh, they hold a medical marijuana card or solely because they test positive for THC metabolites in their bloodstream. That's what's going on. And that's why your question originally was, you know, which employers are most impacted right. mm-hmm. um, and which, how is it difficult? And, and the answer is, if you happen to be in a whole bunch of different states and maybe you have presence in the middle of the country and in the South and you have some uh, facilities in the Northeast and then you have some on the West Coast, it is not uniform mm-hmm. as to how you have to deal with the, these questions about how you treat 
you know, your employees who use cannabis outside of work. Right. It's varies from state to state and, and month to month almost, it seems like. I mean, I, I do remember when in Pennsylvania and helping a friend who, uh, who was using medical cannabis that when he started, we could only purchase for him. Um, could be a tincture, maybe. That's what I'm thinking of, the tincture, yeah. So you could only get that. And then while we were talking, the uh, it changed. And suddenly then he could buy flour. Um, and right. then, but then the law was different that you could have flour, but you couldn't smoke the flour. I mean, it was in a pipe, it was bizarre. It was just changing, you know, as we went. Sure. And then edibles too. Not every right. state allows for edibles and that's often one that changes. I got to tell you, Tom, it's actually, it's a really fun area to practice in because, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of, uh, the laws changing really fast, which can be scary, but it's also fun right, <laughs> because right. you have to be you know, up on it. But um, there's also some interesting questions like preemption. You know, uh, again, I, I mentioned the tension between the federal law and the state law. Right. So and, and in bringing it back to the employment context, we've seen this in the past, you know, when when employers have been faced with these kinds of lawsuits, um, you know, there, there was kind of like this set playbook. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to say there's no private right of action. Uh, And then maybe we'll try to throw out there that, um, you know, it's preempted by the Controlled Substances Act. And so it's it's interesting to see how courts have kind of worked through these questions. And I've seen it definitely evolve over time. So uh, in 2018, one case that stands out to me in particular came out of the Massachusetts, I think uh, they don't call it the Supreme Court. I think it's the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts. Anyway, they're high court. I know what you mean. And um, that case didn't involve Massachusetts at that time, didn't have employment protections in their medical marijuana statute. But that employee, she said, hey, under Massachusetts's disability discrimination law, I have a disability and I should be able to use my medical marijuana as a person with a disability. Right. And when I got fired, that violated the state's anti-discrimination law. And what, why I always look at that case as a turning point in 2018 is that the Supreme Court there said, yeah, um, not so fast. We're not going to allow us, uh, an employer to get out on summary judgment so quickly in that kind of a case. You know, the employer, you really should engage in the interactive process with this employee. You really should go back and forth and have a discussion. You can't just make it, okay, sorry, you're fired. Um, And after that case, after that happened, that's exactly when you started to see a lot of these other Northeastern states, New Hampshire and Rhode Island, New Jersey, the the court started to kind of say, okay, yeah, I think we're going to follow that reasoning uh, more often. And then at the same time, then you started to see the statutes actually being amended to, to add these specific protections. And one thing I want to say, Tom, just for anybody who's out there listening, if you're an employer, you you represent employers and you're thinking like, okay, wait a second. You know, you mean if you're in one of these states, you know, like in New York, like in New Jersey, you know, it's just a free for all and people can come to work high and no, (laughs) that's not what the statutes say. Of course, Mm -hmm. to my knowledge, any state uh, um, you know, uh, there's about 17 right now across the country that have these statutory protections. None of them say, hey, you have to let people come to work in pair. 
right? Yeah. They, they all have an exception for that. And they also usually will have exceptions for if you violate federal law, if you're going to violate federal law by changing your policy, you don't have to do that. If you're in a federal contract with the government, you know, with a government contractor, you know, there's, there's exceptions, there's carve outs usually for that as well. Um, but I've had a lot of clients that try to say, oh, what about the drug free workplace act, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, eighties era, Nancy Reagan, you know, stuff. And, uh, that that's an argument too, that hasn't worked. There's plenty of courts who have said, well, you know, the drug free workplace act, which, you know, is is basically a, a statute that says if you're going to contract with the government, if you're a federal contractor, you have to have certain policies, you have to have stated policies and procedures in place. Um, but nowhere in there does it say you have to drug test people. And nowhere in there does it say that if somebody, if one of your employees tests positive, you have to fire them. So that, that's been an argument. That's a loser. Um, that's been an argument that uh, courts have specifically struck down. It seems like the, the most complicated is for employers who have em, have employees in in multiple states. So where do you begin when you have a an employer who comes to you and says, "How, how am I to address uh, the issue of cannabis in the workplace?" Yeah, well, I think I look at the employer, I look at the client, and I say, "What's the goal? And what's the problems that you, that you are specifically facing?" So I've, I've actually had. Um, you know, for example, like global logistics companies, and they'll say, um, we have a problem in California. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll say, look, we can't, we can't hire people. And because California is one of the states that's had legal cannabis for, for quite a while, right? So the issue right. there is that if you have, for example, uh, if your policy says we're going to do pre-employment drug testing, we're going to test for cannabis, that's one of, that's going to be on our panel. The, the problem is, if they, you know, enforce that policy the way they're supposed to enforce it, um, they're going to be shutting out a lot of candidates. So, you know, really what it boils down to is the labor market and where are you and what industry are you in? And, um, you know, what's the problem? I, I also work in the transportation industry a lot. So drivers, I don't know if you've kind of known this phenomenon, like to get drivers right now is a huge challenge. Everybody's looking to hire drivers. And um, that's another area where you have DOT Part 40 regulations, which, you know, put them in a, in a, in a really spe- specific category. So, so all of these laws don't necessarily affect those drivers who are, you know, that have a CDL, for example. But anyway, it just kind of goes back to this idea of what is the problem that you're facing? Are you looking to loosen your policies a little bit so that y- you can hire more people? Or that you're not um, cutting, you know, really good candidates from your pool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is it? What is your problem that you're trying to to solve? So that's the one thing that I want to know. And also, by the way, you know, sometimes you have clients that have a certain moral philosophy All right. that mostly happens with, you know, for example, clients, um, you know, in the south or the southeast, or maybe in the middle of the country, mm-hmm. and they'll say, "Look, you know, we just." You know, we don't want to be the one setting the trend here, for example. Right. And, and it just doesn't jive with where we are as a company and our values. Or so, they're just morally opposed I mean, to. Um, right. Partaking and in, and in I've seen that. Mm-hmm. I have seen that. So, you know, and so I think for me personally, I like to understand, you know, what's the problem and what else do I need to know? And right. then once you kind of get your arms around that, then you can help them kind of draft their policies and figure out, 
you know, what it is they're trying to accomplish. Are they trying to get a one size fits all kind of policy, which, you know, spoiler alert, that's going to be difficult. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or are you trying to, um, you know, do, do, are you basically just trying to maybe have a communication issue with your employees? I've had, I've had companies that have come forward and say, Hey, we know that a lot of our workers are maybe using either cannabis or maybe CBD. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people they're using CBD. It's, 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 a, it's getting around the workplace a lot. We've had a lot of dialogue or I'll have HR people come and say, People have come forward and asked me about this. I use CBD for my arthritis. Like, what does that mean? So sometimes it's about just actually helping employers come up with a communication piece that they can send out to their workforce and say, hey, you know, we've had questions about this. Just a reminder, this is what our policy says, you know, and ultimately kind of a caveat emptor, like, you know, you're responsible for what you put in your body kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all different ways that this kind of bubbles to the surface. And, um, and sometimes it's just simply straightforward. Hey, we need to make sure our policy is up to date and we need to make sure that, um, you know, we have state supplements, uh, you know, in the 32 different states that we operate in. So, you know, there's those issues too. And then of course you have, you have claims. What types of claims you mean? The most frequent would be, you know, a big company that operates in all 50 states and they do pre-employment testing. Maybe they're a healthcare provider and their policy is simply just, you know, they have a zero tolerance. And so they might be, for example, in New Jersey and they make a conditional offer of employment to an employee. Uh, Hey, you you know, we're going to hire you. We can't wait for you to start. But in the meantime, you just have to take this background check and do this drug test. And then the drug test comes back positive for cannabis. Now, depending upon where you are and what state you're in, there's a different decision tree, right? If you're in New Jersey, you should have a big red flashing light saying, wait a second, you know, maybe I should consult with employment counsel before I rescind that job offer. And I've had that. I've had that. And, you know, the challenge is that especially when you're operating in 50 states, for example, you know, you might not know. And if you rescind that job offer and you're in Texas, you got no issues. Right. You can rescind that job offer all day. Mm-hmm. But if you're in New Jersey, you're going to you're probably going to get a lawyer letter. Right. And so and then you're going to deal with that. And then hopefully but hopefully you won't. But maybe you will. You're faced with a with a lawsuit. Um, yeah. So we're starting to see more and more of these lawsuits now coming coming forward as these laws start to kind of settle in. But they're all new, Tom. That's the other right. problem is that yep. they're, you know, most of these laws with these employment protections are only a couple of years old. So there's right. no there's very rarely case law out there yet. Yeah, it's really uh, a rich, rich playground for attorneys. Some employers want to get rid of pre-employment testing. I guess where I'm well, let's start with that. What what are the issues if you want to get rid of pre-employment testing? That's a pretty common question that we get. Um, and some of it kind of revolves around people. I mentioned like the Drug-Free Workplace Act before. It's just kind of common misconceptions. Maybe somebody is a federal contractor, but they're like, we really want to get rid of pre-employment testing. And so they'll have a basic question like, can we do that? Right. So they'll look to us to get some advice on whether they can do that. If they are a federal contractor, you know, the first thing you would look at is the contract, right? You know, is there, is there something in here? You're, if you're, you know, making missiles for the Department of Defense, <laughs> chances are you're going to have a lot of red tape in there. Yep. 
But, you know, if you're simply just, you know, something much more innocuous, you know, maybe you don't have that issue. Another issue with getting rid of pre-employment testing could be um, many states have um, like a worker's comp, like a voluntary program where you can get uh, deductions on your worker's comp premiums if you have a drug-free workplace program. So many states um, have this uh, just off the top of my head, for example, like Florida's got that. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can and it's and it's usually sometimes it's it's dictated by statute or regulation. So if you're going to be participating in that voluntary program, then you need to follow the program. And sometimes those programs say you have to have pre-employment testing and it might further say you have to have pre-employment testing consistent, for example, with DOT Part 40. So DOT Part 40 says you have to test for cannabinoids. So you have to test for marijuana. So that would be another example um, of an employer if they had come to me and said, hey, we want to get rid of this because maybe the issue is like we talked about a few minutes ago, the talent pool. Like we're just not hiring enough people. So we want to get rid of pre-employment testing for cannabis. Can we do that? But then they also participate in this voluntary program so that it can get um, uh, deductions off their workers' comp premium. Then it's all right, well, you have to choose. You know, you want to participate in this voluntary program or or do you think it's going to be more important for you to have a more robust you know job pool so things like that but i will say for the most part um i'll have to qualify it for the most part but for the most part if you want to get rid of that kind of testing there's not really going to be much many legal impediments for you to do that but more often the case it's especially the bigger employers they don't want to be the first ones you know, they don't want to be trending on Twitter, you know, so-and-so gets rid of testing. Now, certain big companies have already done that mm-hmm. and they have made headlines on Twitter, mm-hmm. but they're, they're okay with that. They've done the calculus and they're, you know, like, Hey, we're, we're good. Right. Um, I, I have, I have spoken on panels with, um, you know, counsel for general inside counsel for, you know, big companies. And I was, I was actually, it was interesting to me to learn that, you know, a, a lot of the big companies are doing their own internal benchmarking mm-hmm. on this, right? So they're they're looking at, for example, safety stats and metrics in internal. And hey, we we got rid of pre-employment testing in California, and we did that in 2019. How do our accidents compare uh, with you know Arkansas? Um, and so what, how does it look, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes the answer is different depending upon, you know, a different company. Right. And, and people can come to different conclusions based on that. You talked about pre-employment testing. The, the part where I get concerned is, so what about testing during employment? It, how is somebody determined to be impaired or not? Who's making those, those decisions? I mean, once you, once you're in there and you're working. How is it that you're you're monitoring your workforce to know if they're yeah, if they're if they have THC in their blood? So that's that's a that's a great question, and and in a way, that's the other. I would say, in addition to the pre-employment question that we just kind of addressed, the other major question right now in this area of law is basically impairment at work, uh, otherwise falling under your reasonable suspicion drug testing policy. You know, usually right. So, hey, we can test you if uh, if you come to work impaired. And also this kind of relates to what I said a minute ago, that all of these statutes 
contain a carve out saying, you know, but none of this means that employers have to allow people to come to work high. Mm -hmm. So that begs the question, how do you tell when somebody came to work high and how do you prove it too? Especially when you're in a state, you know, like New York or like New Jersey that says you can't fire somebody necessarily because of a positive drug test only, right? Um, Solely because of a positive drug test. Um, so, so what do you do? How do you figure that out? So, you know, the, one of the answers, and, you know, this is just kind of like the, the one that's always been out there is, uh, you know, just general reasonable suspicion observations, right? So you're going to rely upon, for example, a manager or a supervisor who says, Hey, you know, I've been looking over there at, at, at John and he, he's been stumbling or, you know, so-and-so went out for their lunch break and they came back and they smell like they just, you know, walked off the set of a Cheech and Chong movie, like, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Um, so in those cases, you know, what you typically would do is you would try to document, you know, why you believe that the person's impaired. Um, and, you know, we have this saying in employment law, you know, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen, <laughs> you know, right. and that goes for sexual harassment. That goes for a whole bunch of employment law uh, paradigms, but certainly for this too, for reasonable suspicion. I mean, especially nowadays, that's the other main takeaway I think here is that you have to be, you know, more than ever vigilant to document if you think somebody's high at work, how, mm-hmm. How do you believe that? I think in the past, it was pretty simple. You would just say, hey, I think so-and-so is high. And then you would just send them for a drug test. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, first of all, there's certain states where that's just going to be illegal. And there's other states where that's going to be looked at more skeptically. And I think um, the reason is, I think, and what your question implied, Tom, is that a drug test being coming back positive for THC metabolites does not prove that that worker was impaired while they were working. Right. Cannabis is kind of unique uh, when compared against other schedule one drugs. So in alcohol, for example, like we know alcohol, everyone pretty much understands that that kind of dissipates out of your, your bloodstream, you know, about a drink an hour or so. So, um, and things like cocaine, um, harder drugs, again, those kind of leave your body pretty quickly. So if you, Think somebody is, you know, for example, high on cocaine, and then you send them for a drug test, and in fact, it comes back positive for cocaine. I think you're going to have a lot better, uh, easier of a time arguing that that person was in fact high at work, mm-hmm. and exhibit A is the drug test. Here, the problem is going to be um, just because somebody tests positive for THC metabolites, that might mean that they took THC or took marijuana 30 days ago, or it could have meant that they were in fact high at work. You just don't, you can't conclusively say that. And more and more courts are starting to have their eyes open to that. And in fact, so for example, the New York Department of Labor issued some guidance. I think it was last October now, uh, if I remember correctly, not not, October, 2021, if I I remember right. And they, they even went as far to say that, you know, basically you can't rely upon a, positive drug test to prove it. And you can't even rely upon somebody's clothes smelling like marijuana to justify a drug test. And I kind of chuckled at that, but the whole, it it, it kind of all goes back to this idea that more and more 
we have more employees in more states that are going to be able to use cannabis legally under state law, whether or not it's for medicinal purposes or adult use purposes. And employers are really going to be put to the test to prove, you know, hey, tell us why this person was high. And one Mm -hmm. other thing I want to add in here, Tom, I'm just going to go back to New Jersey now. Mm-hmm. New Jersey, to, to answer, to specifically go to your question, how do you tell? So New Jersey is uh, unique uh, out of all 50 states at the moment in that in their um, adult use statute that came online last year, they have employment protections for people who use uh, cannabis. And what they say is that if you're going to go ahead and drug test somebody, you can still do it under the circumstances in the statute. But you you have to have the drug test accompanied by observations by somebody who is trained as a wire, which is a workplace impairment recognition expert. Oh, my gosh. So you might ask yourself, what the heck is that? And I will say that everyone in New Jersey has been looking at each other saying, what the heck is that? Are they all named Karen? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, my right. sister, my sister is uh, her name is Karen and she. She's accepted that. But I've never heard that before. So the idea here is best as we can tell. And and I and I'll say before I say anything further on it, the wire requirement is being temporarily suspended for the moment until New Jersey figures it all out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds good. That sounds reasonable. So, but uh right, uh par for the course. What it is is um they're developing a certification program for which employers will have the privilege of sending somebody to get uh, to pay money to get a certification so that this person is better equipped to uh, tell if somebody's high at work. And what we think it's going to be modeled after, because there's references to it in the statute, is basically what's referred to as a DRE in New Jersey, a drug recognition expert. And these are these are special, specially trained police officers who uh, take a test through the state police. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been pulled over, but, you know, touch your nose. Never. Say the alphabet backwards, Mm -hmm. stand on one leg. That's a DRE. Unlike alcohol, right? If you're you're driving drunk, uh, you're going to get tested depending on what state you're in. In New Jersey, it's called an ALCA test. So that's going to show whether or not you're drunk. But what if you're driving on cocaine? What if you're driving on marijuana, for example? How do they deal with it? Well, what they do, what they're supposed to do, is they're supposed to call in this special officer called a DRE who's been trained to determine when somebody's impaired on drugs. And so what this program in New Jersey apparently is going to do is they're going to create a certification program, whether or not you're going to hire some kind of third party or whether you're going to take your one of your HR people or you're going to take a safety person from your organization. You're going to send them. They're going to get this little certificate. They're probably going to be trained by you know a retired police officer. Mm-hmm. And um, they're then going to be better equipped, so goes the statute, to tell if an employee is high at work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, and to, to my knowledge, that's unique. I don't think any other state in the country has this process right now. And I don't know if you picked up my skepticism. Yeah, I got it. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't seem to be from a management side. It just seems like it's going to be really hard to figure that out. Right. And, um, you know, even and from the employee side too, I, I don't, I, I just don't know if this is going to be, 
of like a viable solution. But yeah. I'm all, sure other all, all kidding aside, looking. who would want that job? Right. <laughs> They're going to call yeah. you Dre, uh, which, uh, <laughs> which in, in, the, in high school, we, I think that we called that a narc. Kid, kidding aside, I mean, it, as a young guy, I would have been pulled over all the time. I had serious allergies and I was always on Benadryl. I mean, it's like, I shouldn't have been operating a pencil sharpener. Uh, no, I'd never heard of this special kind of expert. So that's going to be yeah. a, um, the worst job opportunity ever, I imagine. But hey. You know, basically what we've been talking about from the jump is as an employer, this is difficult, right? Yeah. And especially if um, you're not, if New Jersey is just one of the 37 different states that you're operating in. Yeah. Like you you have to be have your antenna up to understand that and yep. to to figure that out. Okay, wait, so you mean I got to send somebody to go get this certification? Like how how's that going to work? So, um, you know, if other states start to emulate that, which hopefully they won't, but um, I'm sure other states are going to be watching and waiting yeah. to see how, you know, this program works here. Interesting. But, um, you know, that's just something to think about. Okay. Now, the other thing that could change um, moving forward here is if, if we ever figure out, you know, some kind of device to test if somebody is impaired, kind of, you know, a la the, the breathalyzer, uh, a weedalyzer, if you will. And that's something that uh, I, I've read articles. I, I know that there's certain companies, there's startups that have, you know, come and gone over the last few years promising this technology. But that that obviously could change. I mean, if there was some something that were relatively quick and easy that, you know, you could have on the work site and just say, hey, can you blow into this this right. device? And that's going to show whether or not somebody is under the influence of cannabis, you know, within, uh, you know, the last five minutes, that obviously would be a game changer, mm -hmm. right? That's going to, to change. But that technology is not here yet. Uh, don't know when it's going to be here. And another little you know, quick legal uh, uh, observation on that too is, you know, even when we get that technology, there's going to be how long of a fight is it going to be in the courts to argue that that's reliable, right? right? So that yeah. you can have all kinds of fry and, you know, you're going to have to go through that evidentiary fight. Um, you know, I think with other technologies like this, it's taken several years. So it's not going to be some magic bullet that's going to help employers immediately, maybe down the road, but it's going to take a little while, I think. I, I want to, I'm going to make a shift to, uh, to CBD, but before I do that, I guess, just as a general question, people are often taking medications that you could argue. I was kidding about antihistamines, but really I felt I, you know, sometimes I felt stoned on that stuff. How is it different? If you can comment on that, I mean, you're, you're taking a medication. Some of it has alcohol in it. Some of it is going to make you drowsy. Some of it says don't operate heavy machinery. How does right. that work with this? Is it kind of the same thing? The one obvious difference is that, you know, again, marijuana is a schedule one drug and that's generally what, you know, employers want to look to, to differentiate. But for example, you know, a, a drug and alcohol policy, standard policy that you would look at in any employer's handbook, typically has a paragraph that says, hey, that addresses legally, you know, prescribed medication. It generally says, you know, look, even though your, your physician prescribed you Percocet for your back condition, right. you're not allowed to come to work, you know, yeah. totally out of your mind taking four Percocets. That's really, and, and, and 
And to your point, I do think over time, depending upon, again, the jurisdictions you're in, marijuana is going to move into that box right? eventually. Yeah, you know, it, it'll, it'll be there. It'll be just like any other medicine that's prescribed by your doctor. I do think that, you know, eventually in more jurisdictions than, than not, that's what it's going to be treated like. And eventually employers are just going to start to treat it that way. We've got a ways to go before that happens. The, so jumping to CBD. So this is uh, CBD by definition has what, uh, less than 0.3% THC in it. That, is that correct? That's right. Okay. Yep. That's right. And now employees can use, they use CBD. Um, should employers be worried about it? The challenge here is, is actually mostly on a labeling level and, and, a, and a, you know, integrity of the product level. So employers, I don't think really should be worried about employees who are actually using real CBD that is derived from industrial hemp, which Tom, you mentioned is 0.3% or less THC by dry volume. So, uh, and, and that's pursuant to the, the Hemp Farming Act of 2018, which basically said that's the cutoff, 0.3%. If it's less than 0.3%, you're, it's legal. If it's over 0.3%, it is basically, you know, cannabis schedule one. Cannabis, if I remember correctly, you know, marijuana, the stuff that we've been talking about for the majority of this podcast, just to put it in perspective, that, that's, I think, generally 15 to 20% THC. Okay. Mm -hmm. So industrial hemp is 0.3%. The stuff that gets you high is 15 to 20%. So you, you can tell by order of magnitude, if somebody is actually using something that has 0.3 or less percent THC, it's not going to get you high. And I don't think any employer should legitimately, you know, have a problem with that. And, and, and even taking that a step farther, if you're in a state, for example, that has a lawful off-duty conduct statute, which our statute, the statute might say something like, no employer shall take an adverse employment action against an employee for engaging in any conduct outside of work that is lawful. Many states have those. Colorado has that kind of a statute, North Carolina, New York. And so we've actually started to see some lawsuits by employees who claim they never used marijuana. They only use CBD cream or whatever it might be. Uh, but they got maybe they got into a workplace accident, for example, and then they were drug tested um, as a result of the post-accident drug testing policy. And lo and behold, they test positive for THC. Mm -hmm. They say, wait a second. I only used CBD. I didn't, I don't use THC. Right. Um, so there's been a couple of those lawsuits that have popped up. I, I think to, for, for the, for the most part, those are, you know, they're very few and far between because I'm sure a lot of people use CBD right now. Yeah. And I, again, it, it would be the chances of testing positive for THC on a drug test. If all you're doing is using CBD is pretty, pretty low. Okay. Um, the THC metabolites, uh, uh, they're cumulative. So if you take a whole bunch, like maybe, I don't know, if you're taking gallons of CBD, yeah, maybe it's possible you're going to test positive, but most of the times you won't. So, so, but, but as I mentioned before, I think the thing about CBD that, you know, employers most ask about and, and kind of want to know is, you know, they, Hey, what should we be doing about it? Should we be doing anything about it? And the way I approach it usually is to, to maybe 
integrate something about that into their policy. Mm-hmm. And and I think I mentioned it before, just to let folks know that they're responsible for what they put in their body, because it's more an issue of that bottle that says no THC in it that you bought off of Amazon. Right. How do you know it's what it says? I'm glad you said that. Uh, just from personal experience, I'm a, let's talk about my drug use. No, I don't. Um, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't like to take anything um, <laughs> if I can help it. Right. And, and so CBD, CBD, everybody's all about CBD. And then somebody, uh, Oh, here, try this for stress. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Right. And then, but somebody else <laughs> did take it and flipped out. <laughs> I mean like, Oh, but it says on here is less than 0.3%. I'm like, Okay, I wonder if it really was because this person literally for about an hour and a half <laughs> was flipping out, and it was right. uh, you know like who who does that? Um, yeah, I wonder if how regulated it is. Not to disparage the CBD industry, I don't remember what product it was or anything, but something tells me it was not labeled correctly. Right. Well, uh, t- on that point, right? So it's the FTC's responsibility to deal with you know, consumer facing issues, right? right. Statements like labels that, um, you know, that and claims that these companies are making. And it's also the FDA. So, so under the Hemp Farming Act, there's two agencies that are really tasked with regulating the CBD industry. It's the FTC and it's the FDA. And I'll just say, you know, to put it mildly, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a challenge for those agencies to, to, reg- to regulate it. You know, um, so I think we have a ways to go there. And I think until they figure out a better way to to do that regulation, you you will find, you know, you're just going to, there's going to, it's just the way it is. There's going to yeah. be some counterfeit stuff. And there's going to be stuff that's going to get you high Yeah. Um, that, that says zero THC. And that's why, again, you know, from an employer employee perspective, the message is, look, you're responsible for whatever you take. Right. So if you take a, a, a batch of something that was spiked with, you know, um, CBD that was derived from, you know, uh, cannabis and right. not from industrial hemp, then that's on you. you right. know, that's yeah. not on the employer. The employer is going to take action based upon the positive test. Right. And there's still going to be a lot of black market and gray market. I mean, for those of us who were naive enough to think that, oh, once it's legalized, that'll do away with drug dealers and, you know, black market and stuff. And I, from my understanding is the gray market and the black market is still, still thriving. And, um, and I'm sure yeah. that, that, that particular, I think they of, call it the, uh, the legacy market, the legacy, <laughs> the legacy market. Yes. Right. You know, I think I might've relayed to you that, uh, my daughter worked as a, uh, what'd you, what do we call it? A bud like, tender. A, a bud tender. Yes. Thank you for a yeah. short time. And when, um, uh, I realized after she'd asked me a series of questions about her boss, like, you know, why is he allowed to say these inappropriate things and do these inappropriate things? And the more she told me, I thought this guy was a drug dealer before he's had no management training. Um, right. And so there, there was, he's a legacy guy, but jumping off, jumping away from that now. So president Biden's directive to the uh, health and human services department in the AG's office, he's directed them to take a look at rescheduling cannabis from schedule one. So what can you tell me about that? This this was pretty um, unexpected and could be a a major, a major deal here. Um, So this was back in the beginning of October. And, you know, basically Biden came out and, you know, on the one hand, he announced, um, you know, pardoning and and essentially decriminalization, you know, for 
low level mar- marijuana use under federal law. Mm-hmm. But the big thing that was on, you know, uh, my radar was this other part of the announcement, which, as you just said, he basically directed HSS and um, and the AG's office to take a look at rescheduling. So um, from time to time, um, the DEA will look at it and they've considered this should cannabis be moved off of schedule one. Um, I think the last time they looked at it was 2018, maybe it was 19, but they do it every couple of years. And, and again, you can imagine, you know, especially since now we've had more and more states legalizing it. To be on Schedule One, there's two requirements. It's that high potential for abuse and no known medicinal value. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that no known medicinal value part of it, I think, has been, uh, how shall I say, you know, it's a little bit incongruent with like what, as we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, right? There's 37 states that mm-hmm. if you look at their legislative findings for their medical marijuana statutes, they'll all cite to some kind of scientific research or the fact that cannabis actually can help people that have cancer or AIDS or whatever it might be, or Lou Gehrig's disease or whatever they're going to list, right? So that doesn't quite jive then with this idea that it has no known medicinal value. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and especially... Um, in light of some things that happened on the federal level. And again, in that year, 2018, um, you had the FDA approving for the first time ever uh, uh, a drug that was derived from uh, cannabis uh, to treat uh, childhood epilepsy. Uh, That drug was called Epidoliox. And it was the beginning of the summer of 2018. The FDA came out. uh, It was a fairly big deal. Uh, and then a couple months later, the DEA, their reaction was to simply just deschedule that or excuse me, reschedule that one specific drug down from schedule one to schedule five. So they kind of punted. Right. Mm-hmm. They punted. It's very interesting that Biden made this, you know, uh, announced this directive. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I might add Joe, Joe Biden has never really been a you know friend of cannabis. Um he was very much involved in the war on drugs back in the late eighties and early nineties. And, and with, with a lot of the mandatory minimums and, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, this, this isn't like his natural, <laughs> I don't think this is like his natural uh, state to be, you know, Hey, he's not a, he's not a marijuana crusader, put it that way. So for him to come out with this announcement is interesting. Um, if it were to move off schedule one, that's going to you know have huge changes in particular for the employment context, then, you know, things like the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, all of a sudden that's going to now be in play for a lot of employees to make arguments um, uh, that, you know, this is this is uh, a legal medication and you discriminating against me because that is a problem. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of other uh, it, issues that will pop up around medical inquiries and, and um, you know, forcing employees to, uh, to, to go for medical visits and, and such. Basically, there's a whole untapped area where anything that was relying on federal law before in the workplace had been closed out because of the fact that it's a Schedule One drug. If it comes off Schedule One, all that's now going to be in play. And so it'll be very interesting to see where that goes. And yep. you just kind of have to have a feeling that him saying this, I'd be surprised if, you know, it, it just comes back and, and Merrick Garland's office 
and the DEA say, you know, no, Mr. President, we're good. We'll keep it on schedule one. It just seems like this might be finally the time where it at least gets moved down to schedule two or schedule three, for example. So we'll see. But um, that, that's definitely something that we, we really all took notice of. What would be the most positive outcome for employers? Well, I think, um, <laughs> I don't know how positive an outcome it would be for employers. It would probably be most for employees. But mm-hmm. I guess in one respect, this whole maze that we've been talking about with having different, you know, having to basically look state by state um, and not being able to necessarily have a one size fits all kind of policy. Some of that could, could change, right? So if you have a difference on the federal level, um, depending upon what these agencies say and kind of what happens, it might be easier for employers to start to have more uniform policy that they can enforce throughout the country. Mm-hmm. But that remains to be seen because there still might be states that are going to grant more protections. So, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to get away with not looking at, still not looking at particular states, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that, that is the hope, I guess, you know, best case scenario for employers is that whatever happens on the federal level, it, it kind of takes away some of these landmines because they'll basically be able to try to craft new policies that are going to be more one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, do you want to make a prediction? What's, what's the, what's the law going to be in five years? So, and, then we'll, and then we'll come so, back and hold you to it. Yeah. So I guess, as I just alluded to, I, I'd be pretty surprised if, um, if there isn't some movement, you know, on, on moving cannabis off of schedule one, I wouldn't be, I guess I wouldn't be shocked. I've been looking at these laws for long enough now to have been through this drill a couple times. But I think what's different about this one in particular is that you have the president himself saying, you know, look at this. Mm-hmm. So which wasn't the case uh, the last few times this issue has been um, been looked at. And, and then you have Congress 10 years ago to have a, a bill legalizing marijuana you know, make it onto the uh, the floor of the Senate or even make it out of a committee was unheard of. Mm-hmm. And now you have, it, it, they're getting closer and closer every year to passing laws on the federal level. So I'd say, you know, five years from now, I do think there's going to be some changes. I guess it, it might be more of a slow roll. I just don't, I don't see everything changing overnight. So right. maybe some of these laws are going to be more incremental. But um, but in the meantime, I still think you're going to see many states continue to to, um, you know, kind of liberalize. I think you'll see in in the state, especially the states that already have medical marijuana. Mm -hmm. Those are always the candidates to then go adult use. Um, So so I would look at those states that maybe don't have adult use yet, but they have medical marijuana. They might have had it for some time. Um, those are states that are always, you know, capable of flipping, uh, you know, over to uh, to adult use. And as we do that, I think that the trend is uh, for the legislatures in these states to start including more often than not these employment protections. So they're going to start to build them in to mm-hmm. the statute. Now, whether or not they follow something kooky like New Jersey with this wire. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not. <laughs> I don't, I don't say, you know, all respects to my home state of New Jersey. I don't think it's a great idea. So mm-hmm. I hope that, you know, 
uh, as more states start to change their laws, they don't necessarily follow that. But it will be interesting to see how the states address particularly the pre-employment testing and how that works. I do think uh, my final prediction, I think, will be as states start to change their laws and include these employment protections, you may have more and more states actually just say, you know what, you can't do pre-employment testing for, for cannabis unless the job is a safety sensitive position, right? So you're going to be working with heavy equipment. You're going to be carrying a firearm or whatever. Okay, fine. You can test for whatever. But if there's somebody that's sitting in the back of an office and a desk, filling out TPS reports, we don't care. And you shouldn't be, uh, and, and you shouldn't be testing them for, for cannabis and, and, and firing them or not hiring them because, they went ahead and used cannabis on the weekend when it's legal to do that. Mm-hmm, right. So I think that's probably right. where we start to see that, especially in the more liberal states. You know, all bets are off in the in the in the deep red states. I still think they're gonna they're gonna have to be drug, you know, kind of kicking and streaming into this. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think I think that's one place where if you do see federal reform and you see the federal laws start to change, you will see some of these very deep red states. Maybe right. that's what's going to get them to start to change a little bit on that on that side. Well, it's certainly an interesting wrench to throw into the law because it's something that has a significant criminal past, <laughs> has significant health benefits, has uh, moral opposition and and moral acceptance and real safety issues. I mean, it's got all the all the parts to uh, an interesting legal subject. So you're right in the middle of it. So uh, you're in an interesting area. It's fun. It definitely is fun. And even as the laws change, there's still the stigma associated with it as well. So yeah, there's, like you said, it's got a little bit of everything. It does. Well, uh, Kia Denner, thank you very much for talking with me about this today. I appreciate it. Tom, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. That concludes this episode of the Emerging Litigation Podcast. If you have any questions about anything you heard on the podcast or would like to participate, please write to me at editor at litigationconferences.com. The Emerging Litigation Podcast is a co-production of HB Litigation and Critical Legal Content, my companies, and Fastcase, and our friends at Law Street Media, David Nair, Editor-in-Chief. This is also the audio companion to the Journal on Emerging Issues in Litigation, published by Fastcase, Full Court Press. Tom Hagee, Editor-in-Chief. Morgan Wright, Publisher. I'm your host, Tom Hagee. That's why I'm talking, and I don't know if it needs to be said, but this is not legal advice. Unless telling you it's not legal advice is legal advice, although I'd argue it's just plain common sense. Thanks for listening. Give us a rating, share with friends. See you on the next episode.